This is kind of one of my favorite segments of the show. We kind of have called it the coffee talk. It's a time to to talk to some influential people within the city uh, about themselves, you know, beyond their jobs. Who are they? As well as, uh, you know, get their take on some of the top uh, topics of the day. Well, our guest today is MPP Scarborough Southwest, Dolly Begum. She was elected to the Ontario legislature in June 2018. She is the first Canadian of Bangladeshi origin to hold elected office in any level in Canada. Welcome, Dolly, to the show. Well, thank you so much, uh, Maggie. Good morning, everyone. It's a very wonderful feeling to be here. I know you just recently started this uh this segment. So I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's a brand new show. Our whole show is brand new. We've uh, been on the air since December 3rd. So thanks for joining us. Now you moved (laughs) to Canada as a child with your parents and younger brother um, and have lived in Scarborough most of your life. Tell me Mm -hmm. why you love Toronto, love Scarborough, love this area to the point where you serve in provincial politics. That's a big question. I Thank know. you. Um, <laughs> well, like you said, I, I was uh, I was born in a little country in South Asia, a little but mighty country in yes. South Asia. Um, but so I, I wasn't born here, but I came here when I was very young, um, and uh, and my you know parents, my younger brother, and uh, and I think you know I remember when I first came. One of the things I said to my mom was. I don't think I want to go to school because I can't speak English. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, she kind of, you know, persuaded me to try a little bit. Um, and it was because I didn't really believe that I would be able to, you know, walk through different doors and have opportunities in life. I, that's not something that I've ever felt. Um, until I started exploring, until I, you know, started going to school and, and I, you know, I started grade five and slowly, I think being able to feel that empowerment, being able to feel like I can also do something. Um, and, and there are, you know, different sort of, uh, I think things that life brought our way that allowed me to also learn really fast. Um, made, uh, a little bit of what this, this, I, I wouldn't just say Scarborough, but also what Canada is about. Mm. And, and that is the incredible, um, you know, feeling for a lot of immigrant. I'm 1.5 generation, I would say. Um, but there is a lot of people, I think, who come here with a huge dream with, uh, with an expectation. Not everything goes as you expect, but you do, uh, have the ability to open so many doors that you may not have had in the countries that you were born in. And, and I, I think the, the ability to, you know, have an education to do some of the things that our parents dream of. Mm. Uh, it's is something that I truly appreciate. Um, there is a huge sense of gratitude that I have for this place. Um, and the, and the other part of it is, you know, you you really start to belong in a place like Scarborough. Yeah. I wouldn't say the same for everywhere in Canada, but I think in Toronto, in Scarborough, th- there is a community that really is there for one another. Um, and you start to belong and you start to create your own little world. And that is just so truly incredible about my riding of Scarborough Southwest, where I sometimes call it a mini Ontario, <laughs> where you can find people from all different backgrounds, um, all different tastes um, of you know cuisine, all different cultures. And, and that's just absolutely beautiful. And it's just an incredible honor for me to represent this diverse riding of Scarborough Southwest. So where did that passion for politics and making your voice heard come from? 
Well, you know, I, I never really thought I was going to run for public office. Um, but uh, but I when I was very young, um, my father got into a road accident. He was crossing the road um, after work and he was a uh, a cold day, not like yesterday, but it was similar to what yesterday looked like, um, you know, a very cold wintry day, low visibility, um, and someone speeding through. Um, you know, it was it was a very traumatic experience, a catastrophic ex- accident that really almost destroyed his life. Mm. Um, and, uh, and we were very young, my brother and I, and my mom, you know, someone who did not have the language and just has been here for a year trying to keep up with everything became the sort of the breadwinner of the family my father was in the hospital for quite a few years going through rehab um, and as the you know um, oldest in the family I uh, at a very young age was forced to learn certain things um, to be able to navigate through and I think there is certain appreciation for our social services, um, a system um, that works, especially in our healthcare system. And to be able to have that, I remember my grandfather calling me and saying, you know, your father is alive because you have healthcare, because you're able to get that treatment. Um, and all of those things, I think I, I want to keep it the way it is, if not improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, I, I, I've learned a lot of these things about our community, about our system, about our country. Um, and then eventually when I, you know, graduated and, uh, you know, I was working and I, one of the things I got involved with was a campaign called Keep Hydro Public. Hmm. So not only did I have the appreciation for our provincial healthcare system, um, but also um, a universal healthcare system, I should say, but also learning uh, about something that's huge, which is our electricity system, and to see what's going on with the provincial government at that time. And it was, you know, um, uh, just sort of the last few years of the Kathleen Wynne government. Mm-hmm. That is where I got more involved in provincial politics. Um, and I was the, the chief coordinator of the Keep Hydro Public campaign, a huge campaign at that time. Um, and I was being able to go around the province and talk to people really inspired me to understand what local organizing can do uh, and inspired me to get more involved. And eventually when I was um, asked to run by the writing association, I hesitated and took about six, seven months. So it it was seven months. Wow. Wow. A a while, actually. yeah. Yeah. A lot of conversations at the dinner table. Wow. Now, being the first Canadian of Bangladeshi origin, you know, I've been the first black woman in many rooms. What is it like stepping in? I kind of know the answer to this, but I want to hear your take. What is it like stepping in, not not seeing yourself uh, reflected in a room, but knowing that you need to be there? Your voice needs to be there. You know, Maggie, I think I think you'll know exactly what I mean when I said uh, when I say the first time I walked in, um, you know, to Parliament, uh, and I spoke about this in my inaugural speech was you you, you kind of felt like like in like this imposter, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, syndrome, and and I remember walking through the 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 corridor and seeing all the you know giant portraits um, where none of it you know looks like us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you you kind of think to yourself maybe I, I I you know I don't belong here maybe I've or have I done some or how did I get in here, mm. um, and 
And it takes a little while for you to get used to that. It takes a little while for you to even feel um, like this is, you know, I've earned this and, and I want to be here. And, and, um, and I've, you know, this is, this is my place as well until you, I think, come back to your community. Mm. And, uh, and th- that is the, the, the strangest part. You know, I, I think we are, you know, th- there's really amazing people in our lives who paved that path for us. There are incredible women who have shown that path for us, incredible racialized people who have gone through the struggles before us. Um, I I don't have to go far. I, I look at my parents um, and I know that, you know, they may not have been elected in parliament or have, you know, done some of the, the, the things that you see on TV, but I have seen the way my mom, you know, woke up early mornings and made sure that I get the, the education, make sure that, you know, my dad goes to work before, you know, and sunrise and to be able to see them work so hard just so their kids could have the best possible life. I think you, you're, Every single day you're walking on the shoulders of giants. Yes. And and that there is nothing that can compare to the the, the sacrifices that many of, of our parents or our grandparents have made. Yeah. And to be able to pave that path for us. And walking in that gratitude. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, but we're gonna yeah. return with Dolly Begum, MPP of Scarborough Southwest. You're listening to Toronto this weekend. We're back with Dolly Begum, MPP of Scarborough Southwest. Now, Dolly, you were talking about how much you appreciated the healthcare system after your dad's unfortunate accident. You know, nearly eighty mm-hmm. percent of Ontarians believe that healthcare across the province is in a state of crisis. Mm-hmm. And this is according to a new poll um, conducted by Enveronics Research. We're seeing longer wait lines, emergency rooms having to close over the holidays because they don't have enough staff. We're at crisis levels when it comes to our health care in this province. I know that you have been very vocal about Bill 124, which caps public sector salary increase to 1%. Tell me why this is an issue that you want people to voice their concern about. Yeah, well, you know, Maggie, one of the things we've noticed over the past couple of years during COVID was how essential it is for us to make sure that we are, you know, well up to date and we're well resourced, especially when it comes to human resources in our uh, healthcare sector. Uh, One of the biggest biggest problems that we're seeing right now is the is to be able to recruit retain uh, our healthcare workers mm-hmm. uh, one of the biggest crises within the healthcare sector is not the ability to have enough beds that's important you have to have the infrastructure you have to have the beds but you have to have the manpower you have to have the human resources to be able to take care of people people take care of people and bill 120 bill 124 has been a slap in the face it's be, it's an insult to the frontline healthcare workers who have done so much for our province, for our you know uh, people, for our family members, and to cap their wages um, at a, such a low level, and then tell them that you know you're heroes, but we don't really appreciate you enough to give you the the income that you truly deserve. That's not fair. And we're seeing the result of that. We're seeing the consequences when it, when it comes to people leaving the sector, when it comes to people leaving, um, Ontario to go to other provinces and other jurisdictions to work. Those are, and these are some of the consequences of Build 124. 
and, uh, and and we need to be able to make sure that our healthcare workers stay within the, the healthcare system so that they can continue to do that job and they should be appreciated through their wages as well. So I, I think the government needs to, you know, stop it right there. The courts have made their decision um, and you're, you're, you should listen to the healthcare workers. We're seeing the amount of people that are coming forward protesting and telling the government to just keep it as is, uh, repeal Bill 124 and make sure that you appreciate and retain healthcare workers in the sector. I think you you make such a great point, Dolly. You know, during the height of the pandemic, we were calling frontline mm-hmm. workers heroes, and you know, rightfully so. Um, yeah. And yet, they've kind of fallen off the map. I have a number of friends who work in the healthcare sector and have, you know, obviously like everybody else, connections within the healthcare sector. And what I'm yeah. hearing is just people working and just being exhausted absolutely yeah. exhausted being offered double time sometimes triple time to stay on a shift and yet they just yeah. need to go home and rest and yeah. so uh you know I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on the Ford government also saying to family doctors that they just need to co- essentially stay open and just continue <laughs> working and uh and 24 7 essentially what what are your thoughts on <laughs> uh, on that kind of uh band-aid solution to such a big problem yeah, it's it's like you know someone broke their arm and then you give them a band aid and right. say, well, go go home, you're all right. Um, and and not to mention that our family care system is also not up to par when it comes to the amount of family physicians that we need. So to not have the investment that you need to make in our hospitals and our emergency care, and then tell people to go to your family doctor and take away, you know, even the online services that we had, the, you know, the virtual care services, which the government cut back on, um, and actually say, well, go to your family physicians when we know thousands and thousands of people who actually don't have family physicians. Um, it, it is just it's mind boggling and it's, it's it's a little out of touch, you know, for the ministry, for the minister of health to think that because when, when we look at the amount of communities where we need to have people, where people are kind of holding off and going to, you know, family doctors because either they can't access one or the wait list is, is so huge. Um, it, it, it doesn't work and you're, you're actually making the, the system break even further. Because let, let's say someone, you know, has back pain and they just hold on to it or or they, you know, have uh, some sort of chronic pain and they just um, hold on to it and, and it gets worse. They end up in the ER and you're clogging the system in, in a different way. And it's not that, you know, a person's fault to be able to not have th- that service. And y- you can't really also replace you need for emergency care with family physicians. You need to, it's a multifaceted approach. You need to be able to, look at different parts of the healthcare system and help with that as well. The other thing I would say about family physicians and the need for human resources is that we should be recruiting people who are Ontarians, who are internationally trained professionals, um, who have years of skills and education and want to contribute. Some of them are volunteering within our healthcare system in our community clinics, but cannot get the job, cannot get the residency spots because our government has failed to provide them the opportunity to get the practice ready assessments done to get the 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 supervised positions so that they can show their skills and i have said this for nurses i have said this for uh, for doctors we have a lot of internationally trained professionals from around the world who knew how to for example deal with 
pandemics um, and wanted to contribute, but we're not giving them the opportunities. You know, I've called for for thousands of them to be recognized. Meanwhile, we got maybe 400 and 800. That's not the solution that we need. We need to be able to respect them, uh, retain them and recruit them. And we need to do it in every single parts of the healthcare system, not just focus on one or, you know, blame one and then rely on the other while you're starving all of them. Dolly, we have about a minute and a half left, but I want to <laughs> squeeze in, you know, this is another really pa- a, a topic that you're really passionate about, and that is postal code discrimination by auto insurance yeah. companies. And the recent Auditor General report that came out that said that, that the rates are the highest in the country here in, in the GTA. Tell me why you're really passionate about this. We have a minute left, Dolly, so I want to, but I do want to hear why you're uh, really passionate about this. Well, auto insurance should be based on your driving record. Yeah. You know, um, places like in Scarborough here um, or in Brampton or other parts of the, the city, people are paying way more, even though their driving records are clean, um, just because they move to a postal code where they have a higher premium. And that's just not fair. Let's make it fair. Let's make, make it based on people's driving record. We are seeing it in other parts of the province or other parts of the of the country where people are able to do that. We just want a fair system where people are able to afford auto insurance. It's the right thing to do. And we want to make sure that they're getting a fair deal. Oh, thank you so much, Dolly, for your time today. And happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you, all of you. Thank you so much, Maggie. Have a wonderful uh, and a very happy New Year. That was Dolly Begum. She's the MPP for Scarborough Southwest. This is Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto.